Good afternoon, Valley. How are you doing today? 12 o'clock service, y'all looking good. I'm excited about uh, being able to bring the word. Dr. Brian uh, brought it second service. He did a great job. I think I'm going to steal some of his uh, information. Uh, it's kind of interesting that, you know, Bruce brought the word Thursday night, and then I was first service, Dr. Brian was second, and I'm bringing third. So these are some of the changes that we're talking about, talking about building a, uh, a teaching team here at Valley, and we're going to be looking at those people that have a, a calling on their life that might be an elder. So right now it's the three elders that are, are taking turns, so you're going to see that change in how we do things when Pastor Dave's sitting by a lake up in Michigan, chilling out. All right, so, you know, we're going to have a little fun uh, with that and build this teaching team. But uh, today we're talking about uh, the second commandment, which is that I should have now graven images. All right, I'm, I'm going to start out with uh, a talk about rules. I don't know about you, but I hate arbitrary rules. You know, the kind of rules that organizations make uh, when they are trying to uh, serve themselves instead of serving the people that they're supposed to be serving. You know, we have some laws in the United States that are a lot like that. So I, I Googled it, arbitrary laws in the United States. And so I got a, a, a list I think you're going to enjoy. In Arizona, it is illegal for a donkey to sleep in your bathtub. Think about that. Like, was there an epidemic of donkeys sleeping in bathtubs that required a law? That would govern it. And my question is, who are you going to arrest? The donkey or the bathtub? You know, the owner. What? I don't even understand that. In Delaware, you can't sell dog hair. Who's buying dog hair? I mean, come on. I, mean, I thought maybe they made some wigs out of them or something. I don't know. I don't know if I'd want a wig with dog hair. Minnesota. How many people have ever been to Minnesota? Well, do you know that it is illegal to have dirty tires in Minnesota? If you've ever been to Minnesota, after the winter, like there's mud everywhere, everybody's tires. I think they're dirty when they put them on the car. I mean, I've never seen a clean tire. I'm, in, I'm from Iowa, so I was pretty close. Oh, yeah, this one's good. New Jersey. Um, bulletproof vests are banned while committing a crime. <laughs> you can wear your bulletproof vest all day long, but when it comes to committing a crime, you got to take it off. In Washington, it's illegal to attach a vending machine to a utility pole. Is that a thing? I mean, who would attach a vending machine to a utility pole? And in Texas, you can't sell a human eye. Yeah, I'd like an eye and two ears, please. Like, who does that? You know, if you're going to have rules, we need to get the message right. Language is important. Reminds me of a story I heard one time of a, this priest and this pastor. They were out on this country road and it had a sharp curve in it and they were trying to do their civic duty and they were standing out in the right before the curve and they were holding signs and the priest sign said the end is near and the pastor sign read turn around before it's too late 
Well, this jerk in a sports car comes by and he slows down and he blows the horn and he says, you idiots! And he flips them the rude finger. Now, I know nobody here has ever done that. Maybe your neighbor has, but you haven't. And he presses the gas and he screeches off and pretty soon the priest and the pastor hear the squealing of tires and a splash. And the priest turns to the pastor and says, you think we should change our signs to say the bridge is out? (laughs) It's important to get the message right. You see, the prevailing lie in our culture is that serving God is not fun. The prevailing, excuse me, I'm going to flip that around. The prevailing lie in our culture is that, that serving Satan, wickedness, is fun. And serving Jesus requires some sort of asceticism where we, won't, we don't engage or indulge in anything fun. We see God sitting up in heaven wanting our lives to just be full of suffering and sorrow. And somehow, the culture wants us to believe that if we do it God's way, it'll be stealing our joy. There's nothing further from the truth. In John 10.10, it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus is saying that I have come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The way of sin is always and only to rob you of life, to destroy you ultimately in every way. On the other hand, following Jesus has one destination, true, abundant life. I believe that the Ten Commandments is God providing for us a framework to launch us into accelerated growth, his best for our lives. In providing the Ten Commandments, it is like God saying, I have cooked you a delicious seven-course meal. If you'll just put away that five-day-old McDonald's for a minute, come and enjoy the banquet that I have prepared for you. So we're going to be picking up in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. We're going to read through those. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers onto the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not take the Lord your name, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. And all the moms and dads said, Amen.
honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. Bruce the other night said that includes his truck. We're in the South. You see, I know, I know what you're saying. But Pastor Jamie, we don't live under the law anymore. But did you know that there are some truths in the Bible that transcend time? They're called absolute truths. Why shouldn't you, I mean, look at the Ten Commandments, right? Why shouldn't you steal? Why shouldn't you murder? Why shouldn't you do this or do that? Because it offends who God is. It offends his nature. And the reason that uh, he is, God is dealing with the Israelites, he's telling them what he expects of them. He's telling them what's going to be required for them to walk in, in a fulfilled destiny that he has for them. Do you know that in the New Testament says that God is going to write uh, the laws that were in the Old Testament, he's going to write them on our hearts. He's going to write the new covenant. It's not that we've got to follow these you know, rules. We'll never be able to do it. And I understand that Jesus came and he perfectly fulfilled every one of these for us. So we no longer live under the law, the burden of the law, but we live under grace, the freedom to obey God and follow his best plan for our lives. I think there's significance in going back and looking at where God first mentioned what his plan was for his people. I believe that we can uh, extract some truths from those scriptures that can help us walk this path that God has laid out before us. So we're gonna, for today, we're going to be studying uh, Commandment 2, Exodus 20, uh, 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Why do you think God said that we shouldn't make any carved image? Don't carve it, don't paint it, don't print it, don't pour it, don't do anything. No carved image, no created image whatsoever. God doesn't even want us making an image of him. Why do you think that is? Because God knows a little something about us. We will worship what we see. We will worship what we see. And you'll become what you imagine. The fundamental point of this command is idolatry. You shall not, you cannot, you must not worship a little G who isn't the big G. All around uh, the, the children of Israel, the people had fashioned carvings from what they perceived to be God's. They perceived it with their eyes. The sun came up and scorched their crops. Well, there must be a sun god. Well, let's create a carved image and let's worship or at least sacrifice to the sun god so that he won't burn up our crops and he'll be appeased. Well, you know, in, in the world of that day, there was three things that they believed were really connected with the people, the land, and the god of the land. Okay? They believed that the land was given to them by God so they worshipped 
that God of that land. The problem was when they went to battle with a neighbor, somebody like that, and the neighbor defeated them, well, then what they would do is they would worship their gods, but then they would also start worshiping the other gods of the neighboring nation that had, had conquered them. So they would just worship both. So that's how you got all these people worshiping all these different gods. But you know what? We serve the real God. And he's making it very clear he's not going to have any of that. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. If you see it, you'll serve it. Whether you see it with your natural eye, come on, look at me. Whether you see it with your natural eye or whether you see it with the eyes of your heart or your imagination. And that is why we get all these other gods. Humans want to worship what they can see. You know, we, we even do that in church. And you're like, no, Pastor Jamie, don't do that in church. Oh, Yeah. People come up to me. I see it all the time. And not, just to be honest with you, this is kind of the reason I don't like that whole honor culture thing. Is because people will come up to me or come up to Pastor David and they'll say, oh, Pastor Jamie, you changed my life. Excuse me? I do nothing. <laughs> Did somehow my spirit come out of my body and go into your body and then fix you and then come out and come back into my body? No, I don't think so. That's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came into your life God might, might have given me some words to speak to you that are from his scripture, and it might have changed, and it changed your life, but it wasn't me. I'm just a mouthpiece. And see, the problem is we want to put pastors up on a pedestal. There's a problem with that. When you, there's two big ones. Number one, you're setting him up for failure. Number two, you're setting yourself up for failure. When you place somebody up on a pedestal and you put your faith in that person, then they become an idol. And pride comes before fall. I don't ever want to be put up on a pedestal in anybody's eyes. Because it's not me that's speaking to you this morning. It's God that's speaking to you this morning. And the words that I have are from him. They're not mine. So we need to get away from putting people up on pedestals. Because the problem with that and how you set yourself up is because if your faith is in that person and they fail, then your faith goes in the toilet. Our faith must only be in God, in him alone. He doesn't even want you to make carved images of him. Picking up in the rest of verse 5, it says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Well, that's kind of weird, Pastor Jamie. What do you mean God's a jealous God? God's jealousy is not like our jealousy. Kim and I have been married 27 years. Hey, baby, how you doing? 27 years. We got five kids. But whenever one of my kids asks her about an old boyfriend, like that little pencil neck, I punch him in the face. Matter of fact, I punch him in the face now. Where is he? All right. We get jealous over people, our boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, things of that nature. We get jealous over what somebody might have that we want. A job, a house, cars, all this stuff. 
But God isn't jealous like that. You know what he's jealous over? You. He wants the best for your life. And he knows that if you serve something lesser like money or sex or anything like that, that you're not going to get the best that he has for you. You see, lesser guys with a little G, steal. They're, your, they're thieves. And then he goes on, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. A lot of people get hung up on that first part about uh, genera- what we call generational curses, God holding the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, but they miss that second part. But steadfast love to thousands who trust in him, right? We have to realize that God's ways work. There's, there's life. There's steadfast love in following what he says. That's why we keep saying that the Ten Commandments are a pathway in discovering his best for our lives. I will, and you know, he says that he's going to put it in our minds. Catch this, that verse that I referenced. He's going to put it in our minds and in our hearts. And the writer of Hebrews says that the the new covenant is going to be written, uh, he's going to put it into our hearts And he's going to write it on our minds. That's really important. I need you to remember that. Write it down. We're going to be coming back to it. When we don't put him first, we err. God, in his love, infinite love, brings discipline to our lives in order that we will get the best. He will move us from a path of uh, selfishness, an errant path of some way, and he will move us to the path that he has laid out before us. You know, God is serious about idolatry. Most of the time we look at the second commandment, we take a deep breath, and I know what you're thinking out there. Whew, Pastor Jamie, I'm good on this one. I don't have any carved images. I haven't made anything. I haven't fashioned anything. I haven't done anything like that. So I'm good to go. I'm glad I came this Sunday. You can sit back and relax. Well, if we take a little bit closer look, I think you'll see that we're all guilty of idolatry. We have all put something in the place where God should be in our hearts. And you know what? If you study the Bible through and through, you'll realize how serious God is about idolatry. Often in the Old Testament, idolatry is likened to spiritual adultery. That's what God thinks of it, spiritual adultery. You know, we have to put God first. Uh-oh. See, that's why I shouldn't get technology involved in this. And all that. My thumb would be touching stuff. I don't know if you heard that. Siri just came on. <laughs> I need you to listen to this. Right relationship with God requires right recognition of who he is. Right relationship with God requires right recognition of who he is. 
We need to get God in the right spot in our lives. You know, when it's really interesting. When God describes himself in the Bible, he doesn't say, yeah, I'm six feet tall. I have blonde hair, blue eyes. All that, check me out, I'm God. He doesn't do that. You know what God does? What he reveals about himself in Scripture? His character. His nature. Because that's what he wants us to see. When God describes himself, he reveals his nature. And when we see, look at, come on. When we see him, not necessarily with these eyes. Look right here. Not with these eyes, but with these eyes. When we see him, we see his character. When we read the Bible, we see it in the word. When God reveals who he is, and then we ask the Holy Spirit to come, up, to come on the inside of us, God breathes on that word, it comes alive. And now we have Christ on the inside of us. Our old nature is dead, and behold, we have a new nature. So now we have the nature of Christ, and we see in the word God's nature. And, and all of a sudden, the more that we reflect on those two things, God's nature and Christ's nature in us, then we see. We see. We become what we see. We become what we see. You guys want to see God? Do you want to see God? Look at Jesus. Colossians 1.5 says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. When we look at Jesus, we see God. And what, what's the picture that we see in Scripture about Jesus? Well, we see is how he treats his mom. We see how he teaches his disciples. We see love. We see compassion. We see humility. We see gentleness. We see kindness. What are all those things? Those are the attributes of God. So I think that God knew that if, if, we, if he showed us an image of himself, what, we were gonna, what are we going to do with that? Well, we're going to worship it. And he doesn't want us to worship an image. He wants us to worship him. So we're going to pick up in, there's a, kind of a story that reflects this in Exodus, well, it doesn't kind of, it does. <laughs> Exodus 34, 6 through 8, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. Well, let me give you a little backstory. So we knew in Exodus 19, we talked about this last week, that Moses went up the mountain, God told him, go back down, tell the people to consecrate themselves and come to the mountain. Be ready. And I'm going I'm to make them into a, a, a kingdom of priests. We learned that last week. So Moses does that. The people come. They stop at the foot of the mountain. Moses goes up. God writes the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. Moses comes down. But he was up there a long time. So the Israelites, being the fickle people that they were, they said, Aaron, you got to make for us a God that we can worship because we don't know if this Moses dude is ever coming back. So Aaron says, well, bring me your gold. So he, they bring him the gold, and he, he puts it into the furnace, and he fashions a golden calf, and they pull it out. They start worshiping it. Moses comes down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, sees what's going on, and he's very frustrated with them. He throws them down and destroys the stone tablets. 
And he goes, Aaron, what were you doing? He said, well, the people wanted something that they could worship. So I took the gold, put it in the furnace, and popped out a calf. Calf jumped out. So we started worshiping it. (laughs) How many people believe that? So Moses intercedes on the behalf of the people. And God says, all right, come back up. He goes back up the mountain, receives the Ten Commandments a second time. But there's something that's interesting that happens in this, this course moving forward especially when you look at chapter 32, 33, and 34, there's this intimacy that Moses has with God. And he says, God, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. God's like, all right. All right, Moses, you want to see my glory? Why don't you go hide in the cleft of the rock, and I'll pass by, and you can see my glory that way, because if I really showed you my glory, you would die in my presence. So I could just see Moses. Could you see Moses? Woo! I get to see God. Here I go. So he gets in the cleft of the rock. He's, he's there. And a voice from heaven, a voice cries out and proclaims. The Lord. The Lord. See, that's L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your English Bibles. That's Yahweh means I exist. I am. So here we got (laughs) Moses about ready to see God from the cleft of the rock, and here's a voice. I am Lord, Lord, Yahweh. That name is so holy that Jews are even afraid to say it. They just skip over it or put something in its place. You know, when God repeats himself, it's for emphasis. It's strong. The Lord, the Lord, I exist. I am without limits, without measure, infinite in all my attributes. I am without limits or measure, infinite. He is without extension, with no limit, no boundary, no beginning, no end. He is without parts, not composed or broken up. He can do nothing partially. He cannot love you some. He only loves you in full. We need, somebody needs to get that here today. God can't love you some. You have the full measure of God's love being poured out on you right now. All you have to do is step into and open your heart to it. No one else is like that. Every other God is finite. The best thing that I can do for you is to make sure that you don't make sure, um, to make sure that you don't have any other gods before me or make a God that you can see. That's what the Lord's speaking. And then he goes on. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. See, that's all God's mercy, grace, love. But justice, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children 
and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses, this is the part I like, and Moses quickly bowed his head to the earth and worshiped. Why do you think he looked down? (laughs) I don't know about you, but if I'm standing in the cleft of the rock and God's voice says, I am, I am Lord, I ain't looking. (laughs) My head's going down too. Because at that moment, there was nothing to see. No carved image, no mountain, no star, no nothing. There was nothing for Moses to see with these eyes, but everything to see with these eyes. And at that moment, Moses, with these eyes, spiritual eyes, looks into the face of God. Can you imagine that moment? I think that we have all experienced that moment. The moment that God opens our eyes and we see for the first time how much love God has for us. How infinite his love is. Do we see God for the first time? God has designed our affections to work this way. Psalms 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? Our first and primary love is always God. If we put anything or any person first in our affection, we err. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a a consuming love for your spouse, your marriage, your children. It doesn't mean that. It means that you shouldn't put them first. You shouldn't worship them in place of God. Don't make an idol out of your marriage because when you start to have trouble, and you're going to have trouble. I'm married 27 years. We had a few bumpy roads. But when, it, when you get in trouble and you get in the ditch, your marriage is not going to save you. Your right relationship with God is going to save you. And it's going to fulfill you. It means our pursuit of God comes first. In Psalms 135, it, it really shows um, how we, we're prone, how God knows that we're prone to making those things idols. So another psalm captures it this way. Psalms 135, 15 through 18. The idols of the nations are silver and gold. Kind of feel like that's us. The work of human hands. In our case, we don't have a lot of idols made of gold and silver and platinum, but we do have these little things that we fashion that are in the image of gold, platinum, and silver called credit cards now pastor jamie now you're stepping on my toes well my question is when you get in the ditch do you call on god or do you call on mastercard or visa i'm just saying there's nothing wrong with having those things i have a couple but when they become your master when they become your idol when you put your trust in them more than you do god Now you're in trouble. Because we're going to look at something about that in a second. Listen to this. Don't put your trust in those things. 
They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouth. Those who make them become like them. So do all, and so do all who trust in them. Don't put your trust in them because you're going to become like them. Well, Pastor Jamie, how am I going to become like them? Well, you're going to, you're going to have a mouth, but you're not going to be able to speak God's word. You're going to have eyes, but you're not going to see the path that he's laid out before you. You're going to have ears, but you're not going to be able to hear his voice. You're going to have breath in your mouth, but you're not going to be alive. We can never put our trust in those things. Psalms 135, we're going to compare it to what it is in Exodus. So many people have put their trust and affection in money and what money can buy. Here's the reality. Trust in money will always leave you wanting. See, we have this, it's funny, we have, I brought this up in the last service. We have this television show that wants to make an idol out of the next person that wins this contest, right? It's called what? American Idol. One of the most popular, I mean, it's been running forever. It's one of the most popular things. And all the kids that have talent, that are gifted in some way, they all want to get on America's Got, or America's Got Talent or the other one, American Idol, and they want to become the next idol so that I can be worshipped. And we all play, I mean, if you want to watch it, watch it. That's, that's fine. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about what drives it, what's behind it. Oh, to make an idol. Wow, we see it even today, prevalent in our culture. We elevate athletes, we elevate preachers, we elevate singers, we elevate dancers, we elevate people that have a gift and talent that came from God in the first place. Why worship them? Money? Man, it'll always leave you wanting. A God who is seen with these eyes, is finite. But Jesus is infinite. Luke 4, 8 says, And Jesus answered, It is written, You shall worship the Lord God, and him only shall you serve. Yet he has rivals sometimes in our lives. You know what can become idols? The, the one thing I think to, in modern culture today the thing that can become an idol very easily is our kids. Come on, parents. I'm talking to you for a second. We can make idols out of our kids. And this is one of my, this is one of my pet peeves. Now, I was a teacher uh, three years in Texas in eight or nine years here. I was in the public education system. I was a teacher, okay? So I am all for education. But when your education become, of your children become more important than their relationship with their heavenly father, then there's a problem. When soccer becomes more important than coming to church, then we got a problem. When travel this and travel that and this and that become more important in, in your family's life, in that child's life, and you're pouring out thousands of dollars, I'm going to guys wear your steel toe boots today. I'm going to get some now. We're pouring out thousands of dollars, but yet we don't pay our tithes. We got a problem. 
you just made that child into an idol. Because you're putting them and what you're pouring out in them before what you're pouring out to God. That's where we gotta be careful. Can't make our kids an idol. We can't make our marriage an idol. Financial security can't be an idol. Even the five-time world champion Dallas Cowboys can't be an idol. I was preaching this to my friend the other day, practicing, and he said, I got to that part, and he's like, even my Raiders? I'm like, man, you got to take that flag down. <laughs> he's like, but I only have a keychain. I'm like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> Just give him a hard time. Those, oh, man, Jonah 2.8, check this out. Those who worship worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. God, great, excuse me, grace is God's divine enablement. It's him doing for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Anything seen or imagined is less and has no power. When God isn't in the right spot, you forfeit the grace in that area. Another translation says that we turn away from the love of God. God wants you, created you to have his best in every dimension of your life. When God isn't first, he will be. He said, no other gods before me. Other gods will always be reduced in his presence. There's a, there's a story in 1 Samuel, and since we're, well, hey, this is third service. We got some time, don't we? 1 <laughs> Samuel 5, 2, there's this story about the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant, and they brought the Ark of the Covenant before their god, uh, Dagon, statue of their god in their, in their temple. And if you pick up there, it says, Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod, which is the territory of the city, rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face, downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him back in his place. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face, on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head and the hands of both hands were laying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors. Behold, Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of God, the God of Israel, must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. Well, shoot, there's a better choice there, guys. Don't put Dagon back up. Get him out and worship God. They had a better choice. They didn't do it. So now they got a headless, handless <laughs> statue of a God sitting up there. Who do you want to serve? something you see with these eyes that has no breath, has no life, or the God that you see with these eyes. Psalms 113 says, we're going to finish with this uh, exhortation. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the earth? excuse me, on the heavens and the earth. 
He raises the poor from the dust. And he lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. God's heart is to elevate you into your calling, enable you to produce fruit. And that's what the second commandment's all about. Why don't you stand as we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for today. You are an amazing God. Lord, your word's very clear. If we put you first, we don't make any carved images. You're going to lead us down a path of fulfillment in our lives. A path of exponential growth, accelerated growth, and abundant life as we learn today. Lord, we just thank you for everything that you're doing. If there's anybody here that says, Pastor Jamie, I want that. I want to see with my spiritual eyes. I, wanna, I want my eyes to be open so that I can see God's glory that I can understand the depths of his love, that I can come to that place of assurance of my salvation. You want to say, I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Just raise your hand. Yes, I see those hands. There's a big difference between just asking for him to save you and him being the Lord of your life. This decision means that you're gonna follow him all the days of your life. You're gonna, every decision you're gonna make, every thought that you're gonna have will be held captive by his word. As Dr. Brian brought up, we think around 70,000 thoughts an hour. Two to 3,000 thoughts an hour. 70,000 a day, excuse me, in two to 3,000 an hour. That's how many thoughts you have. It's impossible to hold all of them on your own. Only by his word can we do that. So one more time, is there anybody that wants God to take hold of all your thoughts? and be the Lord of your life, all right? For the rest of us, God, I just pray right now, Lord, that this week that you examine us, if there's anything in our lives that we have made an idol, Lord, tear it down right now in the name of Jesus. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, come and show us. Illumine our minds to the truth. We will have no other gods before you. We will not make a carved image. We will not make an, uh, an idol out of anything. We just want to worship you this morning, God. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this day. We just give glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.